Well, hello, everyone. I am that Williams guy back here for another episode. And let me tell you, the numbers are in. And this is the number one podcast recorded in my kitchen. That overwhelmingly, uh, you know, beat all other contestants. Uh, my apologies for there not being an episode uh, last week. And um, but I was at TACCON, which made a lot of contacts there, spoke to a lot of people. So we lined up a lot of future episodes, one of which is the one we're recording right now with John Dobb. So, John, tell everybody about yourself. Hi, Lee. Uh, thank you so much for having me on. And it was it was it was awesome to uh, see you and hang out with you uh, last week at TACCON and all that. So um, but thank you for having me on. Uh, I guess a little intro for who I am. Uh, my name is John Dobb. Uh, in this context here, uh, I am, I guess my title is what, like senior lead assistant instructor, something like that. I don't know, Grand Poobah, uh, <laughs> over at KR Training, which is uh, Carl Wren's uh, group here in Central Texas. Uh, I've been uh, working with Carl for about 13 years now. Uh, and uh, I like to we live here in Central Texas. Happy, great place to be and all that. And of course, you know, you may have heard Carl and I wrote a book together. Our strategies and standards for defense handgun training available wherever fine books are not sold. Um, <laughs> you can get copies direct from us, signed, and all that kind of good stuff too. But uh, that's just a little bit about who I am uh, and all that. So, all right. uh, John was a co-presenter at TACCON. Uh, he was part of a panel discussion with myself and frequent guest Eric Gelhouse, in which we we did a presentation called "The Aftermath." And John has been involved in a personal self-defense shooting. Eric was involved in an on-duty shooting. And then I discussed several uh, deputy-involved shootings, as well as one that uh, a private citizen shooting that I'm working as an expert witness right now, or that I did work as an expert witness. And basically, we each did about 30 minutes on that and then answered a bunch of questions. Um, John, any just brief feedback you want to give on that or any impressions? Well, sure. Um... So actually, it was, it was interesting because for me, uh, this was the first time I had met uh, Eric uh, in person, all that. And, you know, I, I knew a little bit about his story, but, you know, hearing the story directly from him was uh, really impactful. And what I think was, was, was kind of funny was that we, we, we uh, didn't put a whole lot of prep into this, uh, to this, to the session. Uh, you know, I had my story, you had yours, you know, we, we made a couple little bit of slides and you put the slides together, but it was really, I think the thing that really got me was that we were just kind of there and just doing our thing. It wasn't heavily organized. And so it came out very, uh, very real and very organic. And I think one thing that really was impactful for me about it was seeing that despite Eric having kind of like, you know, one thing, despite like your deputies having their own thing and me having mine, how much of the aftermath, which was of course the topic of the session, how much the aftermaths were similar in terms of like what you as an individual and a human being have to deal with uh you know issues of things like the mark of cain that masada you has, has spoken about how that's like a real thing and you know the the need and the importance to understand you know where your line is drawn uh, as to you know when you what you will do and when you will do it uh you know what are you willing to die for as, as they, they say um, but it was really that, that was a big thing that came out of me was was hearing those you know stories for someone for the first time but then seeing how much we shared. And I think that helped, that, that made a very powerful impact on the, on the audience and I think on, on each other uh, as well to hear about that and to really understand the realities in the aftermath and uh, what it all means and how to hopefully have some means of being able to, I guess, uh, 
be, be a little prepared for it, uh, be better prepared for it, to be able to cope with it, to be able to work through it. So um, that, that was a big thing for me out, out of the whole thing. So I really enjoyed doing it. And thank you for uh, asking me to be a part of uh, a, a part of that panel. Well, thank you for, for playing along. Uh, I, you, I had heard your your story on uh, other venues, but it was it was fun to well, I don't want to say fun is the right word. It was uh, enlightened. It was enlightening to to be able to be in the room with you and have the discussion and and hear the questions that were asked. Uh, yeah, absolutely. It, it always is interesting to me how when you're involved in an incident or you've had firsthand, so like my my investigative exposure to an incident, and we tend to look at it in one light. Yeah, and then when you get the questions from like people who don't have that first, you know, firsthand perspective, it's like, oh, sure. God, I'd never even thought of that. Yeah, I, I, yeah. There, there were a couple of questions that came up that way, and I was like, yeah, no, I, I don't know. And of course, you know, a lot of it's mm -hmm. the answer ends up having to be, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, but it does make you look at something a little bit differently, uh, even after all this time. So yeah, it was, it was, it was a very enlightening uh, uh, couple hours that we spent there. So I dug it, man. Sure. And you presented uh, a block of live fire instruction as well, right? Yes. Uh, I did two blocks uh, on AIWB skills, uh, which is, uh, you know, appendix carry is coming back, <laughs> you know, uh, into because it's all cyclical. You know, it was cool and then it wasn't, and then it was cool and then it wasn't. Now it's cool again. Uh, and so um, I did a couple blocks talking on that, which was, it's it's all around just the the kind of the fundamentals of what's, involved what makes AIWB unique so talking about uh you know what it is advantages disadvantages uh talking about equipment and uh the, the importance of having equipment that is specifically and exclusively uh designed for AIWB as opposed to just getting whatever kind of you know crap holster off the shelf and just sticking it in front of your uh belly button and saying I'm done right um and then uh, working on the, the skills, the, real, the really core skills for AWB specifically are getting the gun out of the holster and getting the gun back into the holster uh, and, and doing that safely. Because once the gun's out and all the shooting stuff, it's, you know, that's all the same. So it's really spending a couple hours talking about that and focused on that. Uh, and then actually, since um, well, what happened was, was that um, last year, uh, Spencer Keepers uh, had to have some surgery and all that and was going to be uh, out for quite a while while he recovered. And so Tom Givens asked me uh, to step in and to teach. Uh, so I stepped in and did the AWB blocks last year. They went over well. Uh, I was honored that Tom had me back this year, do it again. And what I've done in, in the interim is I had uh, taken a little two hour kind of, you know, just TACCON block and expanded out to a full, like, you know, half day class that we teach over at KR training now. And we can go a little bit more since we have more time, we can go a little more in depth and talk about equipment and techniques and things like, you know, how to deal from a seated position and, you know, we can do a little more shooting and stuff like that. So, uh, so yeah, so that was a, a cool bit of live fire to be able to do a TACCON. So. Yeah, I find the, the two hour box at, at TACCON or any other similar type conference, I find them to be very challenging from the instructor standpoint is yeah. I, I always overestimate what I can get covered in the two hour time period. Yes. And, and then when I get into it, it's like, oh, eat, eat you know, am I going to make it? And right. Like, <laughs> right. presented this year a block that I did three times last year, the revolver block. And right. even having done it three times already, I still came right down to the wire on the time as far as getting stuff thin. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's, 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 
I struggle with walking up onto the line and say, all right, I presume that every one of you knows how to draw from the holster. Right. <laughs> and, right. you know, and, and I learned my lesson the hard way on that. Uh, it's like, no, if we're going to have holster work in this class, I'm going to verify that everyone knows how to work from the holster before we begin right. with, with the other stuff. Um, oh, yeah. So that's always a challenge is to go back and and do that. And, you know, here's the thing. I do a, did a safety brief because I can't mm-hmm. I can't leave it to chance. Right. Yeah, you don't know the, what they don't know, what they've heard right. before or not. Or, you know, are you are you Sunday morning? And they've had three other live fire blocks and have already heard enough, or is this their first live fire block and they need to hear it? Right. You don't know, but that's hard because then mm-hmm. it's like you want to go into safety really well, but you've got you know, but every precious minute is now being consumed, mm-hmm. and it's and it's tough to like even 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 in this, I, I had to accept that like I am focusing on those core AWV things. I'm telling like people like mm-hmm. I'm not going to be talking about your your trigger, your marksmanship, your sight, your this. As long as you are being safe and keeping it like on paper, fine. That's all that really matters for this. I can't, I, I have to accept that we can't fixture this. We can't fixture that. We can't, yeah. there's just not time. I have to stay focused really, really well on that. And even be accepting of the fact that like all you can do in two hours is scratch the surface. Yeah. You know, you, 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 you just don't have the ability to go really, really deep into the topic in only two hours. Cause yeah. That's how it is. But yeah, I, I, I hear you on the, uh, <laughs> the time challenge. It is absolutely a thing. It's hard. Um, one of the things that I've begun doing is I keep a, a file in the notes section on my phone that I call mm-hmm. it, you know, instructor thoughts. And anytime okay. some, anytime something pops into my head, I just, it, you know, just like random. If I'm sitting here right now talking to you and something comes into my head, you know, based on something you say, I'll pick up my phone right. and add it to my instructor thoughts file. And then stuff I see on the line, sometimes I, I, I pop in or just anywhere else they come from. And one of them that I have to keep reminding myself is, is that terms are not universal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And things or and and things that you think people should know, they don't necessarily know or know by the same terminology that you use. Yes. And yeah. like my first TACCON, I, or you know, I show up and I get ready to start teaching. I'm thinking, well, these people were at TACCON, they would already know all this stuff. Right. Mm, <laughs> not, not necessarily. Not necessarily, because not necessarily. it may be they've been to one class or they're part of a local club or something that someone told them about the event, they sign up and they're coming yeah. to get that knowledge. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's especially true. Cause I think, uh, I think uh, Tiff said that uh, the number of people who tack on is their first tack on. It was like 42% yeah. of the attendees, something yeah. like that. So when you've got basically half the people there, this is their first time. That doesn't mean that obviously they're inexperienced or anything, right. but it is one of those sorts of things, at least that you can figure the people who have probably experienced at TACCON are probably, yeah, they, you can make right. maybe some of those assumptions about, but half the people, you don't know what you can assume about. And yeah, right. they can be all the way down at the, this is my first, literally. Right. <laughs> yeah, if I'm yeah. Te- teaching a block and I walk up and the line is like you, Carl, Dave Rychek, you know, and I'm like, okay, right. I know okay. on this line because I've seen them in all these other classes. Okay, then we might right. be able to go to that stuff. But I'm having to re- when I'm having to read name tags, right? Okay, that's okay. We need to if I don't know who they are, I can't presume what they know. Correct. Yeah, and so, that's, 
So it always makes fun time. Yeah. <laughs> this is yeah. a little peek behind the curtain here into the, the struggles of the instructor life, right? Right. Uh, the match uh, was, uh, was uh, interesting. And it, we yeah. might talk about that and some of your material we're going to discuss later as far as like a minimum competence uh, standard. Uh, sure. I, I am happy to report to the audience that I did make the final 16 in the shoot off and I was the high low yes. man. Um, yes, you were. I got a uh, a phone call uh, this week. Said, so, what is the high low man at the event? I said, well, it means I was smart enough to take the wrappers off the crayons before I ate them. And uh, that's right. <laughs> so, that's how I won at that. Um, now, I will say that that award was based on the points match, not the shoot off. Yeah. Uh, John right. Hearn did advance further in the shoot off than I did. Um, but, uh, you know, I would have been okay. But you beat him on paper, and that's what mattered. Yeah, yeah beat him on paper. <laughs> then, yeah, so long as I beat Hearn is, is my that's first right. thing. And it, turn, it turns out that Hearn actually beat Hearn in the shoot-off. Because, what? yep, uh, Tim Kelly. Well, I was, so I was, I was standing all the way in the back, way underneath in the shade, so I couldn't yeah. hear everything that was going on. And there were a few yeah. times we were looking like, what happened? We didn't know. What was, yeah. what was that? What happened? Uh, Tim Kelly had John down one to nothing. And okay. so it was best two out of three on the second string. John got out to a huge lead on Tim and then John shot Tim's crossover popper. That's why Tim oh, kind of like did a, what did, did a, what, yeah. And so okay. John eliminated himself. And, uh, oh, so, cause I saw it. I saw it and we're like, we're like, what happened? What happened? Yeah. Why? That was only two. That wasn't, it shouldn't have. Why is this right. didn't make sense? Yeah, that got it. Okay. Yeah, so that oh, has led that has led to a lot of a lot of great jokes uh, throughout the week. Oh, uh, I think the best one we have to give an award to David Cagle for coming up with the best one, because you know, John's keynote lecture is "Who Wins, Who Loses, and Why." And so right. Cagle sent out an advertisement for "Who Wins, Tim Kelly, Why," you know, "Who Loses, John, <laughs> or Why." That's good. Oh, that's good, yeah. Cagle. That's a great one, dude. I got it. Yeah. <laughs> And of course, I had to chime in. Well, so long as John Hearn beat John Hearn, everything's okay. That's right. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. That's amazing. Uh, I loved it. Tim Chandler uh, lost a string because he shot his mannequins out of order. Out of order, yeah. That yeah. Happened, so that so, that yeah. he lost a string to that, and you know, man, the the pressure is on in that shoot off because the line between oh, the yes. two is not that thin. I mean, it's thin. It's, it's razor thin. thin. Yeah. And, well, I, I even remember watching, uh, what was it? There was the one where it was Tim Heron and, uh, and Kirk. And that was really interesting to watch because, um, I'm watching, I'm watching Kirk and I'm seeing how he's going and I'm seeing what was really interesting to watch was that I've, I mean, I've seen him shoot. We've known each other for years. I've seen him shoot a lot. And it was really interesting to just watch suddenly where he suddenly knew how he had to, he couldn't give, he couldn't give a millisecond up uh -huh. and watching like, wow, Kirk just suddenly ratcheted up his draw. And it was just wild watching, watching that go, just, just how he just, yeah. you know, hit, you know, he got the command to go boom and how he just exploded and moved so quick. It was, it was a thing of beauty to watch actually, mm -hmm. uh, to watch, watch the two of them going head to head like that. So yeah, it's pretty cool. And, you know, even if you go back to the points match, mm -hmm. the difference between, say, the top 25 and maybe even going farther out to the top 50 is so razor thin. 
that oh, yes. we we could go do that again tomorrow, shoot the exact same match, and It'll it may different. it may flip on its head as who the top sixteen are and make the shoot off. Oh yeah, absolutely. Oh yeah, yeah. it is. It, it's astounding when you look at the actual numbers how how small the range is between the you know the the first and the last, if you will. Mm-hmm. It's really astounding. Uh, it, but it's great. You know, it's great yeah. being around people of that high quality caliber and quality. Uh-huh. you know and watching them perform so it's really cool yeah you know yeah. so and it's actually you know real quick on the match it's funny so like you know i shot the paper match and uh on uh on paper i did not do very well mm-hmm. um because i dropped i dropped a couple points but the thing that was interesting for me about that was i'm actually really cool with it um because we had what happened was uh Actually, it was Eric and I were literally the last people to shoot the match because it was I didn't have time because of schedule and teaching and whatnot uh, to be able to shoot the match before that. So it was literally after our presentation on the aftermath. And then Eric and I hustled over uh, to be able to go shoot the match. And so my head is somewhere else. You know, I absolutely not my head was not in the match, not this, not whatever, which is, oh, here I am suddenly to show up and shoot. But was actually, I was really, really happy though with like the actual performance on paper, like what actually, what I did shoot, where I did, because like, like the, the, in the, in the tiebreaker, like I, I dropped three shots, but they were literally just outside the circle. So yeah, it, you know, hammered me on points, but if this wasn't for points, it would have been most acceptable. Right. Uh-huh. And um, all I thought to myself as well, if this is then, you know, where my skill level degrades to, when I am so thoroughly distracted and have other things heavily on my mind and whatever, but this is the level I degrade to. Yeah. I can live with that just fine. Yeah. You know, and which, which, you know, here, great segue about minimum, to minimum competency now, <laughs> shall we? Yeah. Uh, funny with that is I, I learned that lesson in the year we were in New Orleans yeah. is I finished doing a classroom presentation and went and put my stuff back in my truck and walked to the social tent and sat down and it was like with John Johnston and, and Spencer and a couple other guys. And we start talking and we're like, Hey guys, let's go shoot the match. And I walked right back out and grabbed my stuff and walked down to the range with them. And my mind is still in the classroom. Yeah. Everything that went on with the presentation and I didn't make the shoot off. Yeah. And you know, if I had waited say an hour sure. and walked in yeah. there and done that, you know, I don't know what I would have done. Fine. Uh, because that's the only time where I've shot the match since we've been doing this format that I have not made the shoot off. And that that just shows that your head's elsewhere, you know, and what it shows how it affects performance. But even if it doesn't do that, you can still look at your performance relative to your normal performance and Mm -hmm. the the greater notion of it all and still see that your performance is still quite acceptable. It just didn't make the shoot off, you know, but that's, that's, you know, so high end. So, um, so that's an interesting thing. But yeah, like I said, it's a good, <laughs> it's a good transition yep. to our topic for today, right? Yep. All right? And our topic today is minimum competence. And uh, first, John, I know you want to explain that minimum does not mean low standard. So let's, <laughs> let's get into that. All right. Well, so let's see. Let me, let me give, I guess, uh, let me give some history on all this and explain what I mean when I talk about minimum competency. So when I'm talking about minimum competency, what I'm talking about is that when it comes to the use of a pistol for self-defense, that minimum competency in that context 
is the least amount of skill or ability that is needed in order to use that gun successfully to be able to defend yourself. So in many regards, it is looking at mechanical skills. Yes, there's 80 million things that we can look at out there, uh, but I'm trying to focus on one thing in particular. And so where this all came from, um, <laughs> this is actually kind of fun, is uh, it would have been was it, uh, October 2010. Um, I had taken Combative Pistol 2 with Tom Gibbons. Uh, and that was the class that really, um, I think it made a huge impact on me. It's where I started really understanding like the notion of the importance of the first shot and how, you know, how crucial that is. Uh, it's, it's where I, um, I really started thinking about this notion of, some, of something. And I, I don't know if I'm truly the one who coined this term, but this notion of unacceptable hits, um, because it's not about misses. Um, it's about, because you have to realize that, you know, every bullet that goes out, it hits something, right? You hit something always. Uh, it's just a question then of whether that's acceptable or not, you know? So I've been trying to use, you know, I've been trying to champion a term of, you know, acceptable hits and unacceptable hits, right? Um, you know, only hits count. Well, only hits matter. Well, no, only acceptable hits matter. Cause if you hit them in the fat roll, that's a hit, but it's not really an acceptable one. Right. So things like that. But the thing that really, really got me was this would have been um, sometime in 2012, 2014. I don't remember exactly when it was, but that was a block of time when I worked. Actually, I didn't, I've been a remote worker for most of my entire professional career. I have another life outside of this realm. I'm a software engineer uh, and I've been a remote worker, but for a couple of years, I ended up working for a, a shop in town and I was out having lunch and there was this lady who I'd known through, you know, people, people, people. And all this, and she knew I taught at care training and what I'd done. And she wanted to come up to me and tell me how, like, she wanted to, she, like, I just got my carry license. And she wanted to show me a picture of her target. And it's a B 27 target that looks like this hit by a shotgun blast, right? Uh, and she was, but she was very proud and very excited for what she did. And now, don't get me wrong, I am not like disparaging or taking anything away from her accomplishment. That is, that is a milestone. That is a thing to do to have gone out and achieved that and made, uh, I am not in any way putting that down. But what I remember was at that time, one thing that hit me was, wow, she's speaking in a manner as if she's done. I have achieved. I have my license. The state has given me their blessing. I'm done. I am good. I don't need anything else anymore. I have my, 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 you know, my permit from, from, uh, from the crown and I have my little talisman and I'm good, right? And what I had to realize was like, well, wait, if this is triggering something in me that is saying like that this is, because I'm thinking to myself, like, look, this is insufficient. Because if nothing else, like in the Texas uh, carry license test, so it's called a, now it's called a license to carry. Carry. So when you carry a gun, at least the polite way that we, you know, first off, this implies that you're carrying in public, not in private around the house or whatever. It's in public. And if you're going to be politely, the polite way to carry a gun in public is what? Concealed. Concealed, which implies mm -hmm. that you're carrying it in a... In a holster. In a what? In a holster, right? Yeah. But there is nothing in the Texas test that has anything to do with concealment or holsters. Now, I understand why it's that way, and I am in no way advocating that, like, we need to change or do that. There's reasons for it. But if you just think about it for a minute, like, 
you know, if you if you're going to carry in public this notion of how to conceal and how to draw the gun from the concealed holster and get it into play, like that's a skill that is relevant to know and to be taught and to practice and to have some fluency at. And there's nothing in that. So it's like, this is inadequate. So I had to look at like, you know, if we if we say that like, okay, well, this is insufficient. There's somewhere then along the continuum that things then become sufficient. What is that point when we go from insufficient to sufficient? What is that? And so that's what kind of started fascinating me. So um, then back in uh, 2013, uh, I got my uh, range master uh, instructor certification. Um, I've since got the master instructor certification, but you know, that's back in 2013, I got the original one. And um, I started talking with some of my colleagues about it. And I then, and that's when this whole thing like really, really started churning in my head a lot. And so I had some discussions then uh, with Tom Givens. And then in July, 2013, I published my first writing about this whole notion of mental competency. Because what I wanted to try to do was I wanted to look at like, what is it that people really need? You know, I, I want, you want people, because like that, that, that lady, she had a, a false sense of her skill. She, she really wasn't aware. And, you know, there's a whole Dunning-Kruger and you don't know what you don't know kind of thing. But she, if, if people don't know what is sufficient, well, and then people always throw out like, well, you need to be able to shoot this test. You can do that or whatever. Like, you know, like whatever the latest hotness is right now of like, you know, you know, 25 yards, you know, draw and, you know, drill out the X ring of a BA, you know, 25 and like a second and a half or whatever, right? I mean, if you're, when you, if you, if that's all you can tell people, like, yeah, that's a, that's the standard, that's what you need to be able to do and perform. What's your average person going to think about that? Right. Yeah. Like there, there's, 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 you know, like there's some meme that goes around every time the Olympics are out, like saying like, okay, I'm just going to throw this out there. Could we just have like one normal person like participate in the event so we can like have somebody like you know, gauge this against to know how good this really is. Right. Um, Somebody, I was telling somebody that, and they actually said, yeah, I, I was using the Usain Bolt kind of reference. Okay. And they were like, yeah, we should just put like, I'm, I'm imagining Lee Weems running the, 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 the race with Usain Bolt. And that'll give us a, 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 a picture. And that certainly did give us a picture. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I did but, um, track in yeah. high school, sir. You did? Oh, yeah. That's cool. See, so there you go. So you can do this. All right. Now, now that was uh, over 30 years and a hundred pounds ago, but, uh, and, and it still would have been, hilarious. it still would have been hilarious to see me to run against somebody who actually could run, but right. But so, yeah. but the point is, but the point being that like, we have to accept that we are enthusiasts and we are people who want to chase higher standards and, who are always, you know, they're, they're, I think it's a great thing. It's a very human thing to want to try to always push the boundaries of human performance and human capability and what we can do. But there comes a point where, like, to achieve that, to get to those, you know, most elite levels of things, how much time, effort, work, sacrifice, money, resources, whatever you have to put into it in order to get there. And it's not that it's a bad thing. It's just that as human beings, everything we have is finite. There's only so much time, only so much money, only so much ability, and even only so much desire. You know, like I would love to be able to shoot like Tim Heron, um, but on the same token, 
I don't really have the desire to put in and that level of like extreme effort to get there mm-hmm. because I've got a lot of other things that I want to be able to do and accomplish in my, you know, whatever I have left in life. Right. So it's not a bad thing. It's just accepting that not everybody's in that position. And some people aren't in that position because of circumstance, you know, they've got to work, you know, two jobs and, and, you know, they're, they're single and they got to maintain, manage the kids and all this stuff. And they just don't have the, the, right. the, the time, but we, it, but all that aside, we still, there's still something very, very worthwhile about making sure people have an earnest and honest assessment and knowledge of where their skills really are towards trying to give them the, a really good chance of being able to uh, successfully deploy and use uh, their handgun if they need to. And because false sentences aren't going to be good for anybody, you know, thinking, well, I'll rise to the occasion and I'll be great and all that. You know, that's just not, not, not a thing. You know, we, uh, at, at care training in our defensive pistol skills, one class, which is like the progression is like, there's a basic one, which is I've never touched a gun before basic two, we give you basic marksmanship to get you to pass the, uh, the, the license test, you get your license and you come back for defensive pistol skills one. And that's when we start teaching people how to draw from a holster, draw from concealment, you know, fast, accurate hits and use zero to five yard solution problems and all that. And one of the things we talk in there is about CHL versus reality. And there's a gentleman named Paul Ford. Paul was uh, Austin police SWAT uh, for a number of years. He was involved in some shootings and uh, Carl had asked him for a bit of advice. Like if you could tell one thing to people, uh, you know, what would it be? And Carl said, well, uh, oh, sorry. And uh, Paul said, you will do in a gunfight, you will do 70% of your worst day at the range. So if you think about that, you know, you take a great day at the range and now you got to take it down lower to your worst day and I'll take it down lower to 70% of that. And you have to really realize like how high you actually really need to be able to perform, like what standard you really need to be at so that when you do inevitably degrade, it's still pretty good. And this, like I said, this goes back to like what I said about the TACCON match, you know, about trying to get my skill level up so that when degraded and same thing, like with you, you know, when you had the same thing, your skill level is high enough that then when you degrade, it's still good. Right. Right. So it's about trying to achieve that, about trying to give people some real knowledge and you know, some real talk uh, about what it is and what they need. And obviously there's no guarantees of anything, no matter what we do, right? But trying to give people something decent enough so that then they could have competence in this. And through that competence, they are able to build their confidence in what they need to be able to do when they need to be able to do it. So that's what this is kind of all about for me. in just a few words (laughs) (laughs) all right so then what is the line well the way that i've the way that i've kind of broken it down was that originally and um still to this day some but i've had some evolving thoughts on it which we talk about a little bit but originally what i did was you know we want to know what that line is let's look at data right let's look at what's actually out there and so at the time, back when I first uh, did this work, uh, the big data sets that we had were, you know, Tom Gibbons student data set. Uh, we had FBI data sets. We had DEA data sets. We had just a few others from uh, people. This is the day before, you know, YouTube, uh, you know, was, was loaded with all kinds of stuff uh, for us to be able to see. But, and what we ended up seeing was that, you know, we, we saw a lot of common threads. When you looked at these instances, you see common threads, like uh, the distance, like about a car length. Uh, you'd see that there's usually plain clothing involved. So that means the gun's concealed. 
Uh, they usually occur in public areas. So that's like parking lots, shopping malls, things like that. Uh, home happens, uh, but it's rare. Uh, that you'd see like there was an average of three to five shots that were fired uh, and that multiple assailants uh, were not an uncommon thing. So looking at the data and those common threads, you could see that like a typical incident profile was an armed robbery in some form. One, maybe two assailants were likely, a uh, distance of about three to seven yards, uh, and you had a limited response time, you know, that, that kind of three shots, three yards, three seconds sort of thing, right? So if you start looking at all that and start analyzing through all of it, you start seeing that like this core skill or this core need is the ability to draw from concealment, to get multiple hits, in a small area, at close range, quickly, and using both hands, or maybe one hand. Um, and that's kind of where things settle. Now, of course, the question is, well, some of those things, you know, what do they mean? You know, uh, drawing from concealment, it's fairly, you know, clear right there. You need to be able to just draw from wherever you have your gun concealed. Getting multiple hits. And so this was, again, you know, when the average was about three to four shots, it's about that, being able to get three-ish uh, hits. So really, in a lot of regards, what that comes down to is that you can shoot multiple shots and have, you know, good recoil control and uh, be able to manage that um, in a small area. And this is an interesting one. You start thinking, what is a small area? And I think what it ultimately comes down to is, of course, human anatomy. Uh, it's being able, so it's not just looking at, um, you know, like, oh, an eight inch circle or a six inch circle or this, it's, it's also looking at placement. Like, you know, like I said, a B27 target. Yeah. You get a nice, you know, you get an 18 by 24 inch, you know, eight ring that's very low on the torso. And that's just not that great. Um, you want things that are anatomically correct into vital areas and work to replicate that size and shape. So circle isn't even always the best one. You might look more at something maybe trapezoidal when you start looking at like how the heart and lungs are kind of actually shaped and placed in the body and things like that. But that small area, um, close range, uh, it's, this is actually one that's kind of interesting, but you know, it's, if it's going to be an armed robbery of some sort, they're going to be up close to you. It's going to be somewhat in, you know, touching bad breath distance within a step or two. So up to that five yards, when a car length kind of thing. So five to seven yards uh, at most, um, like here in Texas, we all got trucks. So it's probably seven yards. <laughs> more um and then quickly uh, everything unfolds very fast and so when you start looking at things and what's been interesting is now with lots of closed circuit video footage out there we can see about how quickly things evolve and uh don't know what quickly necessarily always equates to um but again we start thinking about this three shots three yards three seconds and that tends to be a lot of where things fall down uh we can start talking about other things like you know draw to first shot times and stuff like that but that's a lot of what it, that, that's kind of the core breakdown of, of where I originally uh, started looking at what minimum competency ends up involving uh, in this particular context. Okay. Well, that draw to first shot time is always a hot topic. So, what do you think is the minimum standard people need to meet? <laughs> oh, that's always a fun one. Yeah. Well, what. And, and I'll, I, I'll, I'll give you a minute to think about that because I'm going to ask another sure. question on top of it. Did you okay. see a sub-second draw in the TACCOM match, in the actual shoot-off? Oh, gosh. Okay, so, well, obviously with no timer, I can't say for certain. I am not sure that I saw a sub-second. Well, I'll say this. I saw sub-second reaction times 
but I don't think that I saw a sub second, like, like if you put a timer on it, I don't think anything, any first shot would have been sub second because definitely I saw reactions and getting the gun out of the holster and people were moving, Mm -hmm. but they all took, you could see them all taking that moment to make sure their sights were squarely aligned so that that first shot was right where it needed to be. No question. Even the, even the, you know, the fastest people out there were making sure that they accuracy speed was important, but accuracy was important to her. Right. Cause if you didn't, cause and for the audience, the way the match is set up, the, the shoot off is there are these big mannequins over steel plates and you can't see the steel plate. You know they're in the upper center torso of the mannequin, but you like I say you can't see it. And if you don't hit in that exact correct spot, the mannequin doesn't fall over. And you have to knock over three of those before you shoot a crossover popper. And that's who determines who wins each each string. And I know on the very first one I shot against a guy named Zach Cox, who ended up finishing second. He and he eliminated me. Is I, I got onto him from picking, you know, beating up on an old man. And uh, on the first string, I won. I got out of the holster so fast, and my first popper was probably over before he was breaking his first shot, the first mannequin. And I hit it so fast that it surprised me. And I was like, it fell over. I was like, where did it go? Oh, it's supposed to do that. And then I moved to the second second one, right. and I won that string. All right. On the next string, I, I shot took over my first first mannequin go to my second one and i lost my dot mm. and had to slow down find the die get it in the center of the of the mannequin and then get, get the target over and i couldn't catch up to him uh, on the third string i actually got to the crossover popper before he did and i missed the crossover mm. popper yeah and i'm pretty sure that i manipulated my grip as i pressed the trigger and I missed uh, that sh- and I missed that shot. It actually went high of the popper, which means I healed it, mm-hmm. and, which is my most common miss. And mm-hmm. I, he caught up to me and beat me at that point. Right. Yeah, but I don't think either of us were actually on shot, like hitting that first knockover mannequin in under a second, mm-hmm. because I know I don't. No, I don't think that. anybody was. I know I don't have a subsecond draw. I was shooting from a level two duty rig, and in ideal circumstances, I'm about one three there. Mm-hmm. And like I said, I, I knocked my my mannequin over before he did, and I know Zach probably in ideal circumstances, probably down around a second on his presentation, probably on the range mm-hmm. to an eight inch circle. Right. Yeah. But this is not on the range to an eight inch circle, right? Yeah. This is a tougher thing. So, so. You know, that's, and I definitely, like I said, I definitely saw people who are, I know, are capable of sub-second draws getting, they were moving that fast, but they were not shooting that fast right. because they wanted to make sure they really got it. But, but that's, a, that's why this is a really interesting notion about what is, you know, what is a good speed? Because like, it is a very important thing. Claude Warner, you know, really talks about the importance of that first shot because, you know, many times it's he, you know, he who gets the shot off first. Uh, the acceptable hit, rather, I should even say, uh, it wins, right? Uh, and, but it's interesting that like, so how much speed do you really need? But I think, I think it was, uh, Kirk had said something that was actually really interesting. Actually, let me see if I could find uh, the little quote here, because this was, um, where was this? 
Um, uh, I can't find the quote real quick, but what it was was functionally that when you do have something faster, when you have a faster draw, it gives you this ability that you can put the gun away and know that if you need to get it back out, you can, and you can get it out quickly as opposed to, now granted, if it's already in your hand, that's the fastest draw you'll get, but it, there's something about how that plays in when everything is being counted for in you know, tenths of a second, uh, and those things end up mattering, that that's an interesting thing. So I, 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 it's the kind of thing where I think like, well, I can maybe give you a number that I think is maybe good as a, a place to start for uh, a draw to first acceptable hit speed, uh, but there's always something saying about like having more gives you more options, right? So to answer your question, here's what I, here's, here's the way I can look at this. So what all the stuff I talked about previously is like where my original like thinking and research on stuff went, and this was back, whatever, you know, nine years ago, um, it was actually after tech, I mean, I think about it, you know, every now and then over the years, I think about it and I poke at it, I do things. But uh, it was actually after TACCON last year, uh, based on something actually that Claude Warner ended up uh, writing about that really inspired me to step back a moment. And I really spent a lot of time contemplating the importance of that draw to first acceptable hit. And so I've, I think I've refined my thinking a little bit that it's not that I think like, you know, multiple hits are not uh, a minimum uh, part of minimum competency. I think, you know, getting the ability to get multiple hits is still a, a, an important thing to do. But I think that there needs to be an emphasis on that draw to first acceptable hit skill. Um, like, you know, if I, if I, if all I can do is teach somebody in the afternoon, like I don't have time to teach them recoil management, but I can sit there and teach them to get a really good draw to first acceptable hit. Well, I'll, I'll focus there, right? Uh, as opposed to giving my time. And so what happened was, as I did all this stuff, I started quantifying. See, the struggle for all this was always thinking, Hey, is there a, a a good set of drills out there that people could shoot to then say, yes, if you can shoot that and do that, you know, you're minimally competent or whatever, right? And I looked at things like, say, the the, the five by five from Gila Hayes, uh, which is a good drill, um, but it's not really a, a, a applicable here. It's kind of sub minimal because again, it lacks things like in drawing from a holster and stuff like that. Um, you look at like the Texas license to carry test. And again, like, I think that's sub-minimal because again, same thing, it lacks those, uh, it has the, does, it lacks small area <laughs> and it lacks the uh, drop of consumers parts. Yeah. So I've been looking around and, you know, I have some things over time that I've, I've talked about, even like KR trainings, three seconds or less uh, test is, it's really good. I really like that, but there's some approaches that it has that I think get a little sub-minimal, like it talks a lot about, you know, a lot of one-handed shooting, there's reloading, uh, there's a lot of movement and other things, which I think are good, but I could argue are perhaps uh, supra minimal. They're more than, they're, they're extra things that maybe you can learn in the second session as opposed to a first session kind of thing. So uh, like, like all people with an ego, um, your ways are terrible and my way is the best. So what I, what I did was um, I started working on uh, something that I'm calling a minimum competency assessment. And so it's actually a course of fire that I have designed to try to be something that attempts to quantify what might be a fair minimum uh, at addressing these issues and trying to give people some kind of metric to go by. Um, I don't know if I've necessarily achieved it. I'm putting it out there because I really want to hear people's thoughts on it. 
Um, like when I presented at TACCON last week, it got some uh, good uh, feedback, some good return. Um, I posted the write-up of the course of fire uh, and a number of people, they're actually saying that they're going out this weekend and they'll go shoot it and they'll let me know how it goes. So we'll see. Um, but I beta tested it with a lot of people and came up with a lot of things. And based on that, plus, you know, seeing hundreds and hundreds of students over, you know, a decade plus of, of teaching people. And so one of the things I thought was a reasonable, and oh, and the other thing that actually here, for those of you who want to be good math nerds, um, if you actually get a copy of uh, my and Carl's book, Strategies and Standards for Defensive Handgun Training, um, one of the things that Carl has in there that's really neat is he talks about a way to do um, formulas uh, and determine drill difficulty. What you do is it looks at like, you know, if we look at um, the, you know, that the bottom end of the scale is, you know, zero, somebody doing nothing. Uh, and the top end of the scale of the limits of human performance, you can look at that as being like USPSA grandmasters, right? They're the people who can push that, the performance to its uh, highest end. And so Carl basically was able to take uh, a lot of the core components of skills, you know, draw, you know, reload, uh, you know, time between, you know, uh, uh, split times, things like that, and say, this is how a, a GM performs. And this is the, about the expected rate uh, at which they can perform, number of seconds, tenths of a seconds, whatever it is. And then from there, you can start using that and you can break down and look at drills and, you know, all, you can break down all the component parts and all the component things and start figuring that out. And then you can graduate it and say like, well, if that's, you know, 100, GM 100%, what is, you know, somebody shooting at 50% level and things like that? And you can start figuring well, let those me numbers inter- out. Let me interject here for a second, though. All right. Interject. All right. If we're saying... This is what the GM can do. Isn't that kind of saying this is what the Olympic athlete can do? It is. Well, but that's why we, we, we scale it. Right. That's why we want to scale it. So like, so, so to that, let me, let me, mm. let me put it to you this mm. way. Then. If we start looking about uh, on tables and charts and, you know, when we look at other, you know, established uh, uh, data that we have about human performance and shooting, uh, we end up seeing that like, what I started, well, what I started looking at it was when someone comes in for, like if somebody shoots, I'll put it this way. If somebody shoots the care training three seconds or less test as it's written and passing at the 90% level, right. that's approximately like someone performing at about 50% of GM level skill. And I've, I've, like I said, I've seen people shoot this over and over and over again, right. hundreds of thousands of times. And I can see what that is. And then if we say like, well, they're passing at that, which is our defensive pistol skills three level, let's go to our DPS two level. And then let's back it even down to like our DPS one level. And you start saying thing that that's like about maybe 35, 40% of GM performance ish. And so when you start doing the math on that and you start seeing it like, okay, well, let's say you're at three yards, you know, draw and, you know, one to, you know, the eight inch circle or whatever like about two seconds ain't, you know, is possible. And about, you know, if you go to about five yards or seven yards, about two and a half seconds or so is not bad. And then when you start looking at like that as a number of just a performance of where people are, what they can do, and you say, well, now let's start looking at some real world things and looking at them. And nowadays, you know, we've got so many things, you know, you got, you know, active self-protection and the 80 zillion videos that they have. And you can really start looking at how long things actually take and what actually happens. And you can start seeing that if you can sit there and, you know, put the gun into play in about two, two and a half seconds, 
that's not bad as a minimum, as a place to start to give people things. Because, I mean, I see a lot of beginning students or a lot of early stage students. Uh, it takes them two seconds to just react to the beep, <laughs> you know, and to just even think about getting the gun out. So having that ability to go from the beep and get it done in about two, two and a half seconds, depending on distance, et cetera, uh, it, it, I, I assert is not a bad place to start as a minimum. And, oh, I should make clear if I haven't made clear before, when I talk about minimum, I want you to understand that I don't mean low. Minimum is not a synonym for low. Uh, it is, you can still have a, a very high minimum. Um, but I'm trying to see, again, like I said, getting places where something is realistic enough to be able to get things done. Because the other flip side is you look at this like, if you look at the three shots, three yards, three seconds thing, a two second draw and half second splits, that's getting it done in three seconds, right? Yeah. So a lot of things end up kind of working out that that number and that metric, again, is a reasonable minimum for people, I think. Because believe yeah. me, I see people draw a whole lot slower than that. You know, I, I, I think people that are, deep into the training world and the competition world is yes. we tend to look at that level of standard as the norm. And it's just not the norm. And, and we take, so like Gabe White standards, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I've, I've taken Gabe's class three times and mm -hmm. I've seen a, seen someone hanging their head at getting a dark pin right. in that class. And I'm like, dude, if you can shoot a dark pin on, demand you're doing, you're doing you're, quite well you're handling right. yourself okay uh, i'll take you through a well, door with me you know right absolutely right well you know it's 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 funny so in my i, I actually have a quote from gabe that uh -huh. i i have it transcribed here because actually i actually have my notes from uh -huh. the uh, presentation gabe says this he said quote these are difficult performance goals intended to be used by intended for use by enthusiasts who are going to devote a lot of time, effort, and resources to practicing and getting better. They are probably a lot more difficult technical level goal than you would address unless you were an enthusiast. Again, these are goals, not standards, and they are intended for use by enthusiasts. There are a lot of people who have gotten, really gotten the job done in real life and they wouldn't reach any of these technical skill levels. They're very much intended for people who are self-motivated to do a lot of practicing and get as sharp as they can, end quote. Mm -hmm. You know, so, even Gabe knows that this is for enthusiasts and yeah, it's like, if you can, yeah, if you can get a dark pin, yeah. you're shooting pretty darn good. You yeah. know, you know, I've taken, like I said, the class three times, I've gotten a light pin mm -hmm. all three times. And mm -hmm. for the audience, if you're not familiar is the lowest level award that he gives is a dark pin. Then it's light pin. And then turbo is for basically GM level standard on, on the test. Mm -hmm. um, I can shoot light pin on demand. I'm okay with that. I could go to the range right now and set up a target array and I could shoot you a light pin, uh, you know, mm -hmm. level on his test. Now I could go spend a lot of time and I could get two turbo pin standards, but I would right. have to spend a lot of time, a lot of effort, a lot of ex expenditure mm -hmm. to get there and to be at my performance level the day he comes runs the test. Right. And then, if I quit doing that, would I fall off? Yeah, right. I, I'm keeping, like, keeping that skill level is tough. Yeah, keeping at that level, you know, where I could do the turbo on demand, 
you, you know, that's, that's a whole lot more work and a whole lot more expenditure that I'm willing to put into it. To me, on that level, that set of standards, as long as I can shoot light pin on demand, I'm okay. That's fantastic. Right. But that's the thing to, to, to realize here. And, that, and that's why I think this is such an important topic for us to talk about that. Like I said, it, we don't want people to be complacent and, you know, be satisfied in mediocrity, but there's something about making sure that people have, you know, a real idea and, and a real notion of where they're performing and that it's quote unquote good enough, yeah. but it doesn't have to be, you know, turbo pin level that like, you don't need that in order to get the job done. Or the flip side on this really in my investigation is like, well, do you really need turbo pin levels to get it done? Because right. that's, I mean, that's the reason, like, I, I'm not attached to the answer of like, oh, I want it to be something like low. It's not that. I, I'm attached to an answer. of I want to know what to be minimally competent is. And if in fact it is, well, you got to be able to shoot turbo in order to get it done. Well, then so be it. And then we can use that to help us get where we need to go. But I think that, you know, I think it's, if we, if we're honest about things like that's cool and that's fun. And yeah, when you can perform at that level, you can have more options and you can do more things and whatever, but is it truly necessary? You know, um, I guess, I guess one way I tend to look at it is it's, it's, it's that, that, that scenario of you get a friend who's never shot a gun before and they come to you and they say, yeah, I've got some, some crazy person, you know, an X or this or whatever. And they're giving me credible threats to my life. Uh, I've never thought about owning a gun before, but now I would like one. I know you're a gun person. Please help me. Right. And now you've got a day. And in the morning, you're going to the gun store to help them go shopping. And in the afternoon, you're taking them to the range. And now you've got four or five hours to teach them what they need to know. What are you going to teach them? And, and what do you hope that they walk away being able to do? Like, is it really worth teaching them how to, you know, shoot, you know, moving targets out of a flaming helicopter while you rappel mm-hmm. down if they can't hit like an eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper at three yards, right? What's, what's important really to teach them? Is, is teaching them the different ways to do reloads all that important if they can't hit the target at three yards, right. you know, is that, you know, but it's like, cause I, I argued on that one. It's like, I'm going to hit them this cause like, they're going to do enough administrative loading and unloading of the gun. They're going to know basically how it works. Yep. Yeah. They're not going to have like Travis Tomasi level of, of like, you know, getting it done in the blink of an eye kind of reloads, but they'll know how to do it. And that's okay. Because again, then the other data backing up is like, we rarely, truly rarely see reloads happening in private citizen gunfights. So is it really that crucial of a skill? Should they learn it? eventually yeah. yeah but is it really a minimum what you need right now to get out the door to be something you know what i mean yeah it's like in my pistol craft class i don't spend time teaching reloads i encourage that you do a proactive speed reload and i begin that early in the class i do it in my demos right. i begin encouraging students to do that and then before we shoot the final exercise i spend maybe 10 minutes on reloads and probably five minutes of that is me talking about okay it doesn't matter how you send the slide forward right right <laughs> here are all the arguments that people have over this i don't care use one you know get the slide get, forward. get the gun working yeah, yeah get the gun get, running again that's all that matters yeah, yeah get the gun working it doesn't matter and the only reason i'm spending time on this is because you will see these arguments <laughs> 
and it doesn't matter. You too can now enter the comment section. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Like Weaver versus like Isosceles, use one. Yes. It doesn't right. matter. <laughs> what matters is getting the gun between you and the bad guy and getting effective hits. Right. Yeah. If if you have to get if it results to the point where you you actually have to fire. Right. Get, right. Getting a gun between you and the bad guy may be enough to make bad guy decide he needs to leave. Right. And that's a whole other ball of wax, which has been yeah. interesting that, that uh, of thinking like, well, because and then I, I, I think even more about mental competency, like should like one problem with this is it's it's very hyper focused on draw and shoot. Mm-hmm. But can we argue that a minimum skill that someone ought to walk away with, you got that four hour afternoon session, that the minimum skill they need to walk away with is you know, target discernment and yeah. knowing, you know, what to shoot or not to shoot to understand, you know, the legal uh, 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 responsibilities and ramifications. Uh, you know, there's, like I said, there's, there's, there's a zillion things. And so I'm, I'm, it's, it's really interesting. That, and I, that's why I'm, I think I'm, I'm so fascinated by this topic because mm-hmm. like I said, I've been intentionally honing in on one very narrow thing. But there's so much that we could start talking about that, like, is, you know, we yeah. could we could argue, we could even argue, like, well, for you in your life, maybe it's more important that you should learn CPR because, you know, you live with, you know, your elderly mother or whatever, mm-hmm. and you know, maybe it's more important for you to understand that as a minimum skill in life than anything with a gun, right? right. So it's fascinating to me to, to think about all this stuff. So yeah, there there was one of the attendees at TACCON that was walking around asking people what they thought was the most important skill. You know, oh, really? person should have, and he, he came over and asked me, and you know, as far as pertaining to carrying a firearm, and mm-hmm. my answer was understand the legal environment surrounding the use of that firearm. Yeah, and yeah. you know, it's like so. Really, that's what you you know. He was kind of like questioning. Me. It's like if you want a hard skill, I'll come up with a hard skill answer for you. I right. said, but I really and truly, the number one thing that I think someone needs to know about carrying a firearm into the world is to understand the legal environment of using that firearm because yeah. it's not the cops are going to immediately show up they're going to look at the fact pattern and pat me on the back high five me right. everything's going to be okay right and because or, we're, we're getting into a world in which what the cops on scene see and think is okay is not necessarily right. going to be the legal charging decision because I can tell you, I've seen in my career, yeah. I've been doing this 23 years now. For the better part of my career, if I showed up on the scene of an incident, I decided no charges were going to be filed. That was the end of it. That's not the case anymore. That is not the case anymore. Because, you know, in the world of body count, and I'm okay with body counts because they, they actually exonerate cops from false accusations more than <laughs> a they- lot more than they uh, actually end up accusing, you know, nailing them for bad things. But mm-hmm. it's not just body cams. It's like the whole world is under video surveillance now. Oh, yeah. And once that video hits and the court of public opinion starts hammering, that. it's most places prosecutors are elected and it doesn't matter if they lose the trial. What matters is whether or not they bring charges as far right. as the, the public opinion is concerned. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And their answer is, well, I'll just bring the charges and if the guy gets off, he gets off. 
right? But and then they okay. can find their way to turn it and twist it. But yeah, that's right. oh yeah, you're you're you are you are a pawn in their political game. Right. I, I just did an expert witness work in a in a case, and I discussed this in the aftermath. Uh, mm-hmm. The defense attorney was a cop for 14 years before he went to law school. I worked with him for all 14 of those years. He's sitting there going, I don't know why this guy's charged. Now, he's the guy's defense attorney, but he's looking at it from the cop perspective. I don't understand why this guy's charged. I took the case for free, traveled at my own expense to go testify on behalf of the defendant in this case, because once I looked at the case file, I'm like, why on earth is this guy being charged? I'm going to go try to help him. I came off the stand and a completely unattached deputy in this other county who doesn't even work for the agency that worked the case, but he goes, it was a city police. Uh, the courtroom deputy walks over to the defense table during a recess and goes, why on earth are we even here? <laughs> you know, why is this guy charged? And so this is three old cops sitting around looking at this going, what on earth? But a DA, has brought, a DA has brought the charges. Yep. And that's the thing. So it's... <sighs> It's so it's so wide and vast to think about uh, what you want people to really know and understand. When you know we've we've got so much information and there is so much information out there to share, and trying to find the right ordering to make sure people get what they need, the right prioritization because you can't give them all they need at the same right. time the human mind we can only you know we can only like uh retain and process so much so like you know you can't give somebody here i'm gonna give you one afternoon i'm gonna give you a fire hose of everything you ever needed to know about firearms and and personal defense and all this stuff Mm -hmm. it's just not gonna work so trying to figure out what you need because yeah legal stuff absolutely critical very crucial to it um the you know understanding the aftermath you know, and that like, yeah, you're not going to get, a, you're not going to get to choose when and if it's going to happen. And then when it happens, you're not suddenly going to be able to go, oh, dang, now I wish I could join ACLDN or something like that. Right. Yeah. Uh, for whatever it's worth. Yeah. I'm a member of ACLDN and I don't, I'm not, I don't get anything but love from them or whatever. Cause I, you know, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to promote them and all that, but yeah, they, but things like that, groups like that, you know, understanding that aftermath and what it will be, um, and then, yeah, even other skills, you could say, you know, medical skills um, or, you know, like even you, know, you don't need you don't need to be some big trauma surgeon or anything, but just being able to uh, maybe know how you could manage. Like, yeah, if you did, you know, understanding what direct pressure means. Right. <laughs> and how that actually that maybe how that might be useful to you at some point. Right. right. Um, stuff like that. So uh-huh. I don't know. I, I, the biggest thing that I'm hoping really in, in having all of this talk about this is that it generates more talk. Yeah. I want us to discuss this because I think we spend so much time in our industry chasing high standards. I mean, think about it. You know, we've all got, you know, I've got trinkets on my wall here, right? For they're always about high levels of achievement. And those are good to reward high levels of achievement. But mm-hmm. that's the thing is we're always talking about high levels of achievement. We're not talking to your 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 Joe average whoever person right. uh, uh, that just, you know, if you will. It just wants to be left alone and take care of their family and come home at night and whatever. And they don't have all the time and the gumption, the energy, the desire, but they need to realistically know what they're dealing with and what their capabilities are. And 
you know, if nothing else, having milestones, because I think, I think the nice thing about saying if you're minimally competent, well, people may not like the minimal part, but realize it still means that you're competent. Yeah. And isn't that what we want? Yeah. So, All right. so I I've want got, us to have more conversations on this. Sure. So I've got two lines of questioning for you then. And one is uh, make sure you've got your course of fire handy because we're going to want to ask you about the course of fire. All right. Uh, so number one, and I, you've probably already answered this, and we're going to focus right. just on the hard skill portion of it, not the things people should know otherwise. Mm-hmm. Number one, hard skill. I'm bringing you. Uh, here's here's Bob. Bob's got a gun. He's just bought this. You've got what four hours to work with Bob. What do you think he's got to know before he leaves the range today to be competent to walk into the world with his handgun? First thing I'd say, just just focusing on pure, you know, gun mechanical skills. The first is safety. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, whichever rule set you want to use, you know, I like to always keep gun pointing in a safe direction, you know, always keep finger off trigger ready to shoot, all that. Um, first thing is safe gun handling. Okay. Uh, and then I'd want to make sure that they understand uh, safe and reliable manipulation of the gun. So just knowing like, like first off parts of nomenclature, you were saying earlier, like everyone has, you know, different terms and stuff like mm-hmm. that. Let's make sure we agree on parts of nomenclature and things like that. Um, like it's, it's a trigger. It's not a bang switch and it's a finger. It's not a booger hook. Okay. Uh, um, but let's do that. Have a little bit of just understanding of this. How does a gun work? Cause some people, they may, you know, they just got the gun. They may not know. They don't know what this button is or that lever or that thing. Um, they may not understand that like, yes, you have to use the decocker, right? Mm-hmm. You, you know, you don't, don't just pull the hammer back. No, I know it's easier on the DASAs, yep. right? But no, this is how it operates. So let's make sure they actually, like whatever gun it is that they choose or chose or whatever they have, let's make sure they know how to use it. Let let me interject with a question there. I want to see if you get asked this question. Uh, From time to time, I teach a free citizens class through the sheriff's office for the citizens of our county. Okay. And one of the things they come to a classroom session before we go to the range. And I'll show like the loading and unloading sequence of a revolver and then the loading and unloading sequence of a semi-automatic pistol. And, you know, semi-automatic pistols, magazine in, run the slide. And inevitably, in every session I get, so do I have to do the slide for every shot? I haven't gotten that one, no. Mm -hmm. I have not gotten that one. But, yeah, but that's the thing. But but that shows Uh that people just don't you don't we all don't magically know this we take it for granted that we know all this especially if you grew up from you know your earliest Mm -hmm. memory was going in the back pasture with grandpa and and plinking tin cans or whatever right right? so you just you just know but like that you know like even even part of those manipulations is things like how to load a magazine correctly you know uh like that's a thing we take for granted just that we know how to just sit there and just you know put ammo in mags we know how to do that but you're born knowing that. Uh-huh. So all that basic functionality of, you know, this is the gun, this is the thing, these are the parts, this is how you operate, this is how you load it, this is how you unload it, this is how you verify that it is unloaded. You know, um, even little bits of range etiquette are, I think, important to give people. Um, it doesn't have to be all the etiquette and all the things, but understanding things like, you know, when you bench the gun, it, you know, slide locked open ejection port up you know can be a, a very useful thing not to handle the gun people downrange what that's about you know 
a little bit of range etiquette and all that I think is important to know. So that kind of like, you know, that, that's very fundamental is assuming that they know nothing or assuming I don't know anything about them, making sure that they know safety, making sure they know basics about the gun, how to operate it, how to manipulate it, how to do those things. Or, you After know, that, let, let's stay on range etiquette for just a second. One sure. of the things that I've learned the hard way, the difference right. between cop training and open enrollment training. And as I'm teaching like a very basic intro level open enrollment training class, mm -hmm. when I do my briefing, I discuss with them that we do not leave the line yeah. without the, the instructor or the, or the assistants knowing what is happening. All right, because, you know, my first formal training outside of when well, my father was an instructor in the military, but one of my first formal mm -hmm. trainings, you know, was all through uh law enforcement the the heavens would have opened if someone just walked off of a firing line oh yeah oh my gosh I, we'd probably still be doing push-ups or running you know to the gate and back or <laughs> you know and, and i and i did not go to a paramilitary law enforcement academy but you know the the wrath of god that would have befallen us had one of us done something like that and like the very first open enrollment class i'm teaching through my company is one of the students is on the line he decided he needed to go to the bathroom and just like walked off the line what's going on like and i was oh, i just need to go to the bathroom okay well then say that right <laughs> but you know yeah. let us know right yeah, it's, it's, which and yeah. then in the grand scheme of things that's not a big deal but now i've got divided attention i can't be focusing right. on what's going on because all of a sudden i see this guy just leave right you know what's going on with that what's what's the other right. and so is there a problem right like, yeah yeah and There's a whole host of things yeah and so we we go over that that it's okay we stay on the line mm -hmm. if you dismissed you, yeah and do like we don't bend over and pick up things until whoever's calling the commands tells you that it's okay to bend right. over and pick up things we stay right. on the line toes on the line if for yep. some reason you need to leave you get one of our attention we'll yes. come over and tell and then so that way we all know what is happening yes yes that's no that's the, we we, yeah. we we totally say we do the same thing at, at KR training that we'll right. we'll let if, if you need to go off the line for some reason, right. like that's cool. Right. But, you know, we tell people, it's like, look, we got 88 acres around here. We don't need yeah. people just randomly wandering right. off or, you know, that you wandered yeah. off. Like you should be wandering off because you told us not because right. suddenly it's now July and it's a hundred degrees out and you right. are suddenly having a bad reaction and you just wander off. Yeah. So like, we're going to see wandering off as a problem, mm -hmm. you know? So, so you need to uh. tell it like, it's cool. If you got, if you got to go to the bathroom, that's cool. Yeah. Just you, you got to wait till it's you're not on the line in the middle of something, right. and then let us know or whatever. And I mean, and if it becomes urgent, just raise your right. non-gun hand right. and just let us know. But that's fine. But yeah, yeah. all that management is a thing with that. Yeah. And you know, like I said, I I don't know if I would like you know how how heavy I would go into like etiquette with a first timer. But right. there's some basics that they're going to need to know, and I think it'll be a little contextual yeah. too. Like because if you go to some other you know your mm -hmm. local public gun range or indoor range they're going to have their rules and things right. they want you to follow so you'll want to follow them right. etc you know you know and that's but, one of the other things i see from the deeply embedded hobbyist okay folks don't tend to walk into a tom gibbons classes they're like his traveling roadshows as like their yeah. first exposure to formal training true 
or you know, a Dave Spalding or a Gabe White or you know, uh, Carl's, Carl's traveling road shows, Carl Wren. Okay, yeah, there's a difference yeah. when Carl is on the road teaching a class to high-end hobbyists to KR training teaching a, this is a gun class. It's completely right. different groups in those classes. Yes. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. We, in fact, yeah, we, we, we definitely, you know, our, our intro classes, we, they're, they're, we have a very different mindset and approach. But when we talk like our AT6 advanced handgun, it's like everybody who comes to that class, they've been here multiple times and know this. And we can run a much, I don't want to, it's going to sound bad to say a looser ship, but it's not mm. that it's loose. It's that we've seen all these people before. They're, right. you know, they're repeat customers or clients. Right. They've been around. We know, we know how they're going to behave. We know how they're going to act. They know the rules. Right. They know how to act and how to do things. So we can run a little differently than you mm-hmm. would ever run. Like, yeah, these are first time beginners. Don't know a thing. Never been here before. Don't know us. Don't know right. nothing. And you're going to definitely approach it differently, but still, it doesn't mean we get lax. It just means you right. can take a different approach because the, right. the context is different. Right. You know? you know, and all that for the high-end hobbyist that tends to look down on the people that don't know the things that we think that we should know. Well, how did you get to the point that you are now? You had to start off somewhere. I have a Y chromosome. That's all I need. Yeah. There you go. So. Uh, anything, <laughs> a- anything else on the hard skills that you think? But yeah, yes. So, so to get then just really to the, you know, the, the, the shooty parts of, of hard skills, ultimately what I like, again, it, it comes down, I think also first, I need to understand the context of what the person is wanting. If the person is wanting this for, you know, self-defense or if they're wanting this for competition, well, that's two different things. Right. Um, uh, but again, let's assuming, you know, this is a, a, a personal defense thing. So that's the context we're talking about. Um, for me, I think at this point, the biggest skill that I would really want to ultimately like spend my time in incremental building blocks working and building up to is that ability to, you know, that, that draw to first acceptable hit skill. Um, if there is any one thing, it would be that. Uh, and being able to do that somewhere out to now, I've kind of refined, I know that I said, you know, a short distance, but I've kind of expanded that out to a slightly longer distance of, I think about 10 yards is I think a good I think it's a good spot now. And the reason I think 10 yards is a good spot, but for most people, for many people, or I should say many people, their, their first notion or thought about getting a gun isn't concealed carry. It's home defense, right? That's for many people. Oh, I want a gun to defend my home, right? Mm-hmm. They, they get that context. Of, it's, a, it's, a, it's a more comfortable and easier context to uh, accept than now I'm walking around in public with a gun kind of thing, right? And so thinking that that's, with that being a thing, um, if you look at many modern houses nowadays, you know, they all have the great room. And if you look at the great room, you know, you look at floor plans for houses now and they have so much open floor plan that you can have, you know, 10, 12, 15 yard distances within your house very easily. So I think that there's a utility in going out to about 10 yards because if nothing else, 10 yards is such a wonderful, magical distance of, it's not close. It's not really far, but like seven to 10 yards, back really seven to 15 are really kind of an interesting pocket, especially around 10 yards to shoot at because like, you gotta have your sights, you gotta have your trigger right. Otherwise it will show you flub it at three yards. You may be able to get a little away with it at seven yards, but 10 yards really gotta have all the things. And I think that's good because 
it really starts to reinforce the notion of sighted fire uh, and the importance. Because I, I, we in fact, just a couple weeks ago, we had a student class and the student was just drilling it out at three yards. Great. And they started getting back to you know seven yards and they weren't able to hit squat. Mm -hmm. And then realizing it's just like, oh, you're not aiming. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and it really reinforces. So I think it starts to get to, to reinforce it. So for me, I think if there's really one mechanical skill that I want to build up, it's uh, would be that they walk away with being able to get a good draw to first acceptable hit, you know, like, you know, that seven yards on like, you know, the, 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 uh, eight, you know, the eight inch circle on like an IDPA or a range master Q, or if you use like the, I really like, you know, I know this is on brand, but I really like care trainings, care T2 target that we have, because we really designed that to be very anatomically correct in size and shape and placement yeah. of zones. Uh, so I really, and that's a free download. Anybody can download that and print it up. Just make sure you print it on 11 by 17 paper, uh, when you do, um, or don't, and you'll have a really, really hard target whenever you want. <laughs> um, but at least that kind of thing of hitting in that zone and being able to do that, that's, that's what I would love somebody to be able to walk out with uh, being able to do. So safety, you know, basic manipulations and that, that draw to first acceptable hit skill would be really, really crucial things in my book. All right. Uh, in the remaining time, let's go over the course of fire. Okay. Um, so what I do, so the, the big things in this course of fire, it's actually interesting. I, I, I'm on version three of the course of fire right now. Um, Cause I, I came up with something that was very mechanical. Like, like on paper, this looked really good. It hit everything in terms of the math and the things I wanted, but I got on the range to run it and like, Oh my gosh, this is such a pain in the tuchus, uh to run. So um, uh, I took uh, some feedback from Carl towards simplification uh and so it's now 25 rounds it was 30 it's now 25 rounds so if you want to you know one box of ammo and you can shoot it twice um and one thing that i really liked and this was uh this is actually from john hearn uh he speaks in his who wins loses and why he, he talks a lot about overlearning, mm -hmm. and so i think that there's a lot of like you'll see in this that there's a lot of overlearning, uh and a lot of stress on that draw to first acceptable hit skill so uh, just reading this out here, the first, the first uh, uh, shot is 10 yards. You start hands at sides and you draw and fire two to the body in four seconds. And this implies concealment in this, you know, both hands and all that. Oh, I should also say this. Uh, let me back up a minute. One thing about the assessment is that it is meant to be an assessment in a of use of a handgun in a defensive uh, situation. When I originally was doing my thinking it was always around the private citizen and i've changed my thinking to just be around well the good law-abiding citizen because it doesn't really matter whether you're a private citizen in concealment gear or you're a cop in duty gear um really like the standard of performance is really ultimately the same because it's still someone trying to do horrible things to you and you need to stop so at this point I'm saying like the gear that you shoot should be your carry gear, whatever that is, whatever you're, you know, if, if it's that you're in a full duty rig and that's how you get, that's fine. That's what it is. And I would also recommend that this was shot with your carry ammo. Um, I know that's expensive, but you know, if we have the notion of, uh, you know, you rotate your carry ammo every six months or 12 months or whatever you do, um, hopefully you've got a little bucket building up of, you know, old carry ammo that you, you could use. Right. Yeah. 
um, just so it helps replicate the recoil. Because again, this is about trying to see, can you do what you're doing, what you're doing? And also with the carry gear, it's important because I don't want people doing the thing like, well, I'll shoot it with the Glock 34, but I carry, you know, a Glock 42 or something like that, right? No, 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 no. Um, shoot with what you carry. It's got to be your carry gear because this is what you're going to carry and trust your life with. You better be able to perform with it. You know, like I can tell you right now, like I've been carrying a P365 uh, with an XL grip on it. And I can't shoot it as fast as I can shoot like a full-size gun. Yeah. Um, but I still want to know, but I still can shoot. I can, you know, clean this fine. I shot the match <laughs> at TACCON with my the, the 365, right? Because um, like that's what I'm going to carry. Mm-hmm. Make sure I can work with it, right? So you can do a little equipment vetting with it. But anyways, um, so all that. So back to this. It's starting at 10 yards. So hand at sides and draw and two to the body in four seconds. And what I like about this is that it starts you at 10 yards. So if you're cold, and this is what you have to perform on demand, um, hopefully that's going to make you feel a little pressure, you know, or if it doesn't make you feel pressure and you nail it, it's called, then you're probably beyond minimally competent, right? Uh Um, But 10 yards, it's going to be a little pressure. It's going to be a little thing to do that. And four seconds, as I've seen it pan out with my beta testers and such, that's, has worked out fairly well at making things go. Uh, But that's the only, it's at 10 yards, because again, most of the stuff isn't happening at longer distances. It's mostly in shorter distances. So a little heavier emphasis on five and three yards. So we go to seven yards then and starts seven yards, uh, hands at sides, three to the body in four seconds. Then from seven yards, hands starting up in a fence position. And then it's drawn one to the body in two and a half seconds. And then this next one is going to be from seven yards, hands on phone one to the body in two and a half seconds. And that's something we got from you actually was like, you know, to use like an old empty ammo tray or something like that as your phone. And I just tell people like, look, use the phone, put the phone in your hand, whatever way you use the phone. If that's, you know, landscape mode with two thumbs texting, or if it's to your ear and talking or holding in one hand and tapping on it with your index finger or your other, I don't care what it is. And if you normally have it down at your belly button when you're looking, or if you have it held up, you know, in front of your face vertically, so you can, you know, keep up and looking around you. I don't care what it is, whatever your phone mode of starting is to do that. And then, you know, it's drop the phone and then draw and one of the body in two and a half seconds. Um, I added in this notion of the different start positions with our hands because that's life. Mm-hmm. And these days, especially hand, having a phone in your hand is a ridiculous amount of our lives. I know we're, we all want to think that we're, well, I don't, I'm not on my phone that much. Yes, you are. <laughs> you're on a, the phone is in your hand a lot more than you think right and so that's a very real thing i think especially for again you know us enthusiasts or whatever we may know better but again this is not aimed at the enthusiasts that know right. better it's about helping the people get to learn that so understanding the notion of you have things in your hands and that you should drop them and to start drink putting that skill in and putting that in i think that's uh like asked me 10 years ago i may not have thought this right. you know but nowadays especially on the phone thing oh yeah yeah, it's funny about that empty ammo tray. Yeah, I, I debuted that in what the very first Range Master reunion in a video, and it's yeah. amazing how fast that spread through the firearm training world. And I got like all kind of emails and messages yeah. like, "I've been trying to come up with a way to do this forever." Dude, it's like, well, it's, it's cheap. It's cheap. Everybody brought them with them. Right. And it, and it's, got the them. it's the same size as an iPhone. <laughs> right. It's perfect. You know, I mean, it's great. It's, 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 yeah. it's an excellent idea. And yeah, when I saw 
uh, you know, got that from you. And it's just like, oh man, this is perfect. You know, I mean, if you want to use your real phone and drop it, go right ahead. But, you know, the ammo tray is just brilliant, dude. So thank you for that idea. Man. Um, so, so we do that. So then, but it's just those three uh, at seven yards. So then it moves into five yards. And at five yards, now the next additive thing that put, gets put in here is a sidestep. So on the draw, you know, it's on the beep, you know, you should sidestep left or sidestep right. I don't care, but just sidestep and then, you know, draw and shoot. And I add in a bit of movement because, you know, it's, it's a combination of a couple things there that, you know, what's better to shoot or to not get shot, not get shot. Right. So movement is good to help with that. And I know that a lot of people have this poo-pooing on the notion of just taking the sidestep. Right. But again, we're trying to make people minimally competent. I want them to start getting used to the notion of that sidestepping is a thing and why is it important? Um, and I always, I will always remember it was from Tom Givens. He's like showing you here, like, you know, putting your hands up and making like that. Like, I don't know. I'm trying to find the right way to describe this for people who are only listening, not seeing, but you know, it's like that camera thing where you put your thumbs together and you make like a visual little, uh, like with your hands to look through if your hands, a box. So you have, you're simulating tunnel vision kind of thing. And I always remember Tom, calling it a what the fuck moment that that's what you want to give you know when you when you because when you sit there and you're in at these like you know up to five yards maybe seven ish or so kind of distances if you just if someone's got tunnel vision and you just step to the right or left you've disappeared now you stepped out of their field of view and they're going to have to reset themselves and reorient and figure out where they are which buys you time which could give you what you need so that's a good thing. Or if nothing else, just, you know, incoming bullets have the right away. So just getting off the X is a good thing. Uh-huh. And like I said, we can talk about things like, well, you should really like take long steps like this or, you know, do, you know, J hooks or other kinds of movement or moving. You know, it's like, okay, cool. That's later. I want to get people minimal. Let's just introduce the notion of at least like, you know, getting their feet to do something. Right. So let's yeah. start with a sidestep. And interesting so, that you say that for science released a study a couple of weeks ago. Yeah that dealt oh, yeah. with people moving if they haven't been forced to do it in training move their feet and turn their head that they don't right. do it, it, don't do it, it. for real yeah mm-hmm. so so we'll spend time at five yards and it starts with again just some draw to first acceptable hits so hands at sides step draw one of the body in two and a half seconds five yards fence step one of the body two and a half five yards phone step one of the body two and a half seconds uh, then, uh, from five yards, you'll, uh, hands at sides, step three to the body in three and a half seconds. And then from five yards, hands at sides, step two to the body, one to the head in four seconds. So that starts introducing the notion of obviously needing to change speed. Uh, it's, you know, the failure to stop drill, that whole shebang starts getting introduced here. Uh, then we move to three yards. And it's kind of much the same. So three yards, hands at sides, step one of the body in two seconds, fence one of the body in two seconds, phone one of the body in two seconds, uh, and then hands at sides, step three to the body in three seconds. And then the last string is step two to the body and one to the head in three and a half seconds. And the standard is uh, to pass is that, you know, since it's all about acceptable hits, it's either you hit or you didn't, you know, shots over time, that's you didn't hit, right? If it's supposed to be a headshot or a body shot, you know, where it's supposed to hit, you didn't hit that, it's, you know, so it's either acceptable or not. And you just count them up and there's 25 total. And if you get 23 out of the 25, that's a pass. That's 92%. I mean, you don't want to go with a standard of 90%, but 
you can't really get 90%. That'd be like 22.7 hits or whatever. So, so I figured bump it up a little bit in 23 uh, out of 25 to pass. So, are you running these individually on a timer or are you doing them as a people online with a whistle? So far, I haven't used this in class yet. I've still been just developing this and running it with beta tests. And the beta tests have varied. A lot of times I have run it just as a group and just see like if everyone's making it under the part-time, cool. But certain people, because I've wanted certain bits of data, I've definitely had the individuals run it and see what the individuals uh, have ended up scoring because that's helped me validate uh, data and performance metrics and things like that. Like, you know, I had like Dave Rychek, uh, he ran it for me by himself and gave me uh, all of his uh, yeah. times on all the strings and how he did. And that was a good, valuable bit of data because Dave's a Dave also finished top 16 in the, mm-hmm. uh, the, the shoot off and all that he did last year as well. And I think he's a master class USPSA shooter. Um, Dave's really good. So that he's able to show me like, here's what a high performer is. And cause Dave was like, yeah, it was really easy. I'm like, I would expect it to be easy for you. That's you're not the target for this, but that's, right. if it was hard, that would have told me that my numbers yeah. aren't correct. You yeah. know what I mean? That kind of thing. So that's the basic idea of what, uh, like I said, doing, all, looking at all the math, uh, you know, looking at the data, uh, looking, doing the math on things like using Carl's formulas and things like that. And then a little bit of fuzziness because like, Real math on like five yards was like 2.3 seconds and seven yards was 2.7 seconds, but ain't nobody got time for anything but ones, fives and zeros. So, yeah. um, so that's, so just, you know, that little bit of that. Um, and this right now, like I said, this is a version three. Um, mm-hmm. I still debate on a number of things with this. Like, should there be one-handed shooting? Is one-handed shooting a minimum skill? Now, I think that we can agree that Two-handed shooting is at least, you know, you, you, you have to use at least one hand to shoot the gun, right? You have to use at least one. And with two, you tend to have, you're able to shoot a little faster, a little more accurately because you have a more stable platform in order to be able to shoot from. But is one-handed? Because if you think about things like, like Carl made a point to me that he's like, yeah, well, you know, you watch a lot of the videos and you see so many people who end up going and shooting one-handed. And they're like, yeah, but are they shooting one-handed because they're choosing to shoot one-handed because that's the right thing? Or are they shooting one-handed because they just don't know any better and that's suddenly what they did, yeah. right? Um, but you could argue then, but then does that mean that maybe we should introduce the notion and start teaching them about that? Because then they have an awareness and they're more likely to, you know, now that you've started introducing it, they may be more likely to actually learn the skill and become good at the skill. So if they have to use it, they'll be better. But then does that take away from you've got that four hours to teach somebody and now does it take away from that time? So I don't know. It's definitely one that I'm, I'm, I debate a lot and I'm not sure still where to come down. The first version of this had some one hand shooting and I took it out. I think I'm putting it back in. I don't know. So I'd love to hear, I'd love to hear input on it. That's what I, I, I want feedback. <laughs> I definitely want to know. This is a big discussion point. Sure. Um, anything on this topic that I have not asked you about that you would like to address? I think the biggest thing just to just elaborate on what I just said was that um, I don't attest to have the answer. I'm not saying that any of what I'm putting forth, whether it's the, you know, the, the definition, well, the notion, the definition, uh, how it breaks down, and even this, you know, assessment, I'm not saying that they are the answer or even an answer. I'm just, at this point, I am trying to, I'm trying to find an answer. I am trying to understand what this might be. 
I think that there's a lot of merit in having it defined so that we can train people better. We can give people, uh, we can ensure people have a realistic knowledge of their skill and ability and what it, you know, quote, unquote, you know, do I have what it takes to get the job done? But like I said, I don't know truly what the answer is yet, but I'm having a lot of fun and interest in exploring it. And I would love to hear um, from other people what they think. Uh, um, I mean, if I'm full of it, I want to hear that I'm full of it. If my numbers are wrong, I want to hear that my numbers are wrong. Um, but I want to hear, but if you're going to say that, like you need to then, you know, give me some good data and arguments and discussion back. Why don't just, you know, this is not the comment section of the internet. Um, I'm not interested in that kind of crap, yeah. but I really do want to know. I really do want to hear from other people uh, what it's about. So um, this is a, a I, I hope that uh, this can just be a beginning of discussion and uh, uh, exploration of this topic. And so if y'all got things, any listeners out there, you know, want to uh, talk about this more to hit me up. I'm on all the social medias and out there and all that stuff. And I'd love to hear what people have to say on it. So all right. how do they hit you up? What's your best contacts uh so if you want to hit me so for me um i tend uh, the nickname that i go by online is soy h s o i and used to be i could say that yeah if you just google the word soy you'll get me but now there's a group in indonesia that are a bunch of honda scooter owners <laughs> so i've got a lot of indonesians like honda scooter owners that like to follow me and things like that because there are all these honda scooter owners of indonesia groups out there um it's a neat little bike i, I will say but um but if you set those aside and filter those out soy will find me or sometimes i go by soy sauce because that's what i was able to get um but you can find me like on my uh so like i started blogging again uh, and that's just blog.soy.com uh, you email me at soy at soy.com. Um, you can find me on Facebook under that. You can find me on um, Instagram as soy sauce and you can come see me lift weights because that's all I ever do. Um, <laughs> that's all I ever do on social media is go to the gym. Um, but that's the way she'll get a hold of me and all that. And of course, you know, you can go to care training, the care training.com website. Uh, there's also care trainings on Facebook and all those good things uh, if you want to get at stuff. But uh, I think that covers all the ways that you can try to get at me. I'm out there. I'm findable. All righty. Well, John, I'll, as always, I love talking with you and I love talking about this topic. And uh, it's, it's always fun to, uh, to hear your point of view on things. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me on and giving me a, a, a platform here to be able to talk about this. So I appreciate it. And, and it's always a joy talking to you and, and seeing you, man. So I appreciate it, brother. Well, thank you. I hope we get some good feedback from this. That's beyond, uh-uh. Yeah. Like, as John said, <laughs> You got to have some data to back up. Oh, talk. go ahead. I, sh I should add, it is my plan at the, so, so Carl and I have the uh, print book, the strategy standards book. I also have an ebook called drills, qualifications, standards, and tests. It's free. You can get it by going to the care training website and you just sign up for the mailing list or, and, and then we're able to send it to you as a free download. Uh, and in that I have not only a collection of like my favorite drills, balls, standards, and tests, uh, but I am going to be updating that, uh, with all of this information, this new, the assessment and all my talk from, uh, that I gave attack on. And I'm, I actually have it pulled up on my machine, on my computer here right now, all the, the word doc and everything is all up and open. So I can start on the, the editing process. Uh, I do want to get that up and written and get that republished the way when I have that done with all this minimum competency stuff, 
uh, the updated stuff added to it. Cause you can find my old stuff in the book and on the blog and all that, but all this yeah. new stuff, including the assessment will be in there. And when that's uh, released to the world, we'll put it out over the mailing list and all of like, you know, the KR training, social medias and my personal social medias, uh, it'll all be out there and people can get it that way. So. Cool. Cool. And, uh, audience, I got, I got to say somebody broke the rule. Somebody shared the link to the show with a dumb friend. And we gotta, we gotta remind you all that we're only allowed to share the link with our smart friends. Cause I got a question after recent episodes, like, okay, some, somebody gave this to a dumb person. And remember, we can't do that. But uh, I want to thank you for choosing to spend your time with us. Uh, I hope that uh, the show will get back on a regular uh, production schedule like we have been with the episodes coming out every week. Uh, that's got several fun ones planned coming up from uh, TACCON. And then we'll get back with some of the back into the history and development of firearms training. So there's a plan on where we're going. Just hope we can get them all put together and do it. And as always, thank you for your time.